Well, we welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me is Brad Hallier, and probably no better place to start than uh, where you've been kind of going back and forth from uh, for the first part of this week, Brad, the NBC and Hutch for their uh, opening week, and your son's been working out there. So what, what's going on at the first couple of days of the NBC out at Hobart Detter? Yeah, it's, I, think, I, I think it's a great deal. I think the city of Hutchinson did a great job last year of kind of being the uh, – kind of due to COVID, they had to split it up a little bit to try to keep people separated as much as possible. And the city of Hutchinson did a great job so much, in fact, that they are now hosting the first four days of the tournament, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And uh, they've uh, we're, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. They've already had uh, one full day of competition and, you know, they got teams from as far as, you know, Seattle and Santa Barbara here. They're the kind of the, the mainstays in the NBC. And yeah, I just want, kind of want to also mention a little bit about the team that just played out there today. Uh, is a Puerto Rican collegiate all-star team. And uh, they lost to the 3-1-6 sluggers. I think it was 11-1. And my son was out there working. And he said that these guys, none of them really had the same uniform. They had spray-painted numbers on some of their jerseys. They had different hats and everything. And even though they lost uh, pretty bad, he said nobody had more fun than those guys did. Even when like the other team was rallying, they would be over there chanting and singing and just having a great time. And uh, you know that's kind of what it's all about. So I know that uh, it's it's good to see those kind of teams so something a little bit different. And I know on Thursday night, the hometown Hutchinson Monarchs are opening up against the San Diego Stars. And the Monarchs, you have had a pretty good uh, season. Uh, they won the uh, Sunflower Collegiate League and. They got an automatic bid to the World Series, and they did pretty well last year. And I know the crowd's going to be nice and big out there as they try to take down San Diego. And then they would play either team from Illinois or the Hayes Larks on Saturday, either in the afternoon or at night. So it's it's pretty good. It's a pretty good time. I've I've been to the NBC quite a bit through the years, mainly as a um, in, in the working capacity. But I, I've always enjoyed going to the NBC uh, World Series, Scott. I can't say I go, you know. Every game or all that is usually just if it's not the Monarchs, maybe just go check out a game or two. But I've always enjoyed it. Yeah, it, it, it's really good baseball. And that kind of segues into something we were going to talk about probably as good as all. What, what did you make of the we saw it in the Sunflower? Uh, I saw it at the end of the Kansas uh, Collegiate Baseball League that I covered the Pipeliners in. We had um, several teams actually cease operations during the season. Uh, the last couple of weeks of the season, we saw numerous games canceled due to lack of pitching. You know, kids were leaving to go home early. What what did you make of that, the way that uh, at least the leagues around here kind of stumbled to the finish line this summer? Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate because I know some of those teams, El Dorado, actually didn't play last year due to COVID. And that's fine. I mean, that, that, that's, that was certainly their choice. We were still kind of in uncharted waters. Uh, you know, of in May of last year, uh, you know, I think uh, things were still pretty much down. So certainly, I don't, I didn't fault anybody for not playing last year. But if you had every intention on playing in 2021, you literally, you literally had well over a year to try to piece something together. And when an established team like the El Dorado Broncos, yeah, you know, play one game and then call it good. I mean, that's it's just really concerning that that an established team, the 2009 NBC World Series champion, I believe, and who. Start, got their start in Hutchinson and had their million dollar outfield with Barry Bonds and Rafael Palmero and Pete Incavilia and had Roger Clemens pitching even. So yeah. uh, it's it, it's just a little it's a little disheartening, I guess. I know some of these teams are doing well. The Hutchinson Monarchs are one of the um, 
you know, kind of the, uh, the, the team that everyone kind of measures themselves against, not necessarily on the field, but in terms of stability, fans, uh, host families and all that, and just how well they're taken care of. And I know the Diamond Dogs out of Cheney are, do pretty well. Uh, the Hayes Larks, Liberal BJs, just to name a few. And uh, I, I, I don't know, but to see a couple teams just kind of go belly up, uh, it, it, was, it was definitely disheartening. You know, I cover the Pipeliners. They're playing in the, the Summer Bowl showdown there in Goddard this week. There, I think they ended up having somewhere between 12 and 16 teams from around the country uh, for that five-day tournament. Um, I know they were scrambling to find arms. They had some kids go home. I think they canceled their last three games of the season due to either their lack of pitching or the other team's lack of pitching or whatever. So it is it is a little disheartening to see that happen. And I, I hope that doesn't – it's not a foreboding of what summer baseball will turn into because as people are seeing um, in Goddard, especially at the NBC, that these summer teams, that they're a lot of fun to watch, and I, I hope we can watch them for a, for a long, long time. And for a long time, uh, I was actually kind of perplexed why Hutchinson didn't have a team. I mean, after the, the, the Bronx left – uh, they briefly had a team called the Cardinals. I think they survived maybe two or three years or something like that. But for, oh, the better part of some 20 years, they didn't have a team at all. I just couldn't figure out why not. And then Mark Blackham, uh, the owner, uh, the first year he was GM, as, uh, his name is Barry, uh, Barry Newell, actually founded the team. And then Mark Blackham and his wife Kim uh, bought the club, and they've been running it ever since that first season. It's just been sensational. I mean, they, they do a lot of great community work. They have their cancer night where they raise funds for the local uh, chapter of, uh, you know, the American Ca- uh, Cancer Society or in the Valley, uh, stuff like that. And, and they just do a great job. They're so intertwined with the community. They get crowds, you know, that vary from, you know, 200 to 700. And I bet we see close to 500 uh, against when they play Hayes. It's, 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 it's great. And, yeah, I agree, Scott. I really hope that uh, summer collegiate baseball – not just survives, but continues to thrive, uh, not just nation- nationwide, but in central Kansas as well. Yeah, well, we'll certainly keep tabs on that again. I've done the Pipeliners for two summers. It's a it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to see where all these kids come from um, to improve their skills during the summer. So I hope we will be able to enjoy it uh, for a long, long time. A couple things in the major leagues, of course, it's been a little while since we talked about the Royals. Uh, they're kind of where we left them off at the all-star break. They had a nice little five game losing streak, but promptly I think lost five in a row after that five and five in their last 10, 14 games below 500. So they're kind of, kind of just playing 500 balls since the all-star break. But I think maybe a couple of uh, the big things, of course, the trade line, uh, the trade deadline came and went. And of course, as usual, we, the players we talked about weren't even mentioned. And then we see Danny Duffy and Jorge Soler are the players that are moved uh, during the trade deadline. So what, what did you think about the moves the Royals made um, right before the deadline? Well, pitching being the currency of baseball, I can't really say it was surprising to see Danny Duffy get traded. Kind of unfortunate because the guy really genuinely loved Kansas City. I think the, the, that love was mutual. And, you know, Solaire kind of had the one good season where he broke Moustakas's uh, single season home run record. But really, and, and he, he was starting to turn it around near the trade deadline. So he probably got a little bit more for him than maybe they would have initially. But I don't know. It's um, I don't think the Royals got a, uh, enough bang for their buck with Solaire. And uh, Duffy probably didn't pan out the way we had all hoped. 
but uh, just just you know, t- t- you know, for teams that are needing, you know, maybe that that pinch hit who can get you, you know, a home run in, in a big situation, and of course, you know, a good left-handed pitcher like Duffy, uh, they certainly show that they still have uh, some value. What did you think about what the Royals got in exchange? It looks like here for uh, they got a right-handed pitcher from the Braves for Soler name Kaylee Kalich. I hope that's the correct pronunciation. And for Danny Duffy, they got cash and the old dreaded player to be named later. I've never figured out how that works, but uh, so we really don't know the full extent of Duffy. But do you think they got enough to let go of their best pitcher and? Still a very young power hitter in Solaire. Do you think that uh, they could, uh, in the player to be named later, can they actually trade for the guy that they traded for? So could they actually get Duffy back? And is he the player to be named later? I, I don't know. <laughs> I've always been fascinated by. It's like the old. If you ever watch professional wrestling, the um, from parts unknown. Uh, <laughs> it's always been a mystery to me. This player to be named later. How you how you finalize a trade? when you don't have the trade finalized. Yeah, I just I I think that the Royals uh did what they had to do there. And of course you can't put a put a market on or or value on having great young pitching. I mean, that that's what the that's what the currency of baseball is. And of course the Royals have seemed that they have good uh, prospects down the minors. Hopefully they eventually pan out, but um I don't know. It's I just hope that uh, they, they they do pan out, and who that's player to be named later is uh, someone that can contribute. You know, if not right away, then a few years down the road. Well, Dayton Moore obviously made us believers by the two trips to the World Series and one World Championship in a matter of nine seasons when he took over. So uh, I think I'll trust in what he's doing right now. Although you can't probably see the end game right now of what he's doing with these moves, but. I, there's there is certainly a reason why those moves were made in Dayton Moore's mind. Yeah, Dayton Moore's earned it. Still has earned the benefit of the doubt. I mean, you you don't go to if if the Royals had won it in 2014 and then kind of fell off the face of the earth after that, you could maybe attribute that as a, you know just kind of a fluky season. But the fact that they went to back to back, I think uh, definitely has earned him several uh, years of goodwill with the fan base. And I and I still think that in general the fan base does have that trust in Dayton more well in Dayton we trust until until he proves us completely wrong if they're still where they are here in another 10 years and maybe we'll have to um, reconsider that but uh, I'll, I'll trust for quite a while what the moves that he are making with the Royals uh, also in Major League Baseball got to get your reaction Brad I, I think this is going to take me a long time to get used to the Cleveland Guardians <laughs> Did you hear about the um, the roller derby team in Cleveland named the Guardians? Uh, yeah, I heard there's going to be some interesting uh, monetary issues there because they've already... They filed like a, tra- a trademark suit or, or f- filed for a trademark of their name or something like that? Yeah, I believe that they've had that long enough for fire, f- fired, filed the correct paperwork to have rights to that name. So that that's going to be fascinating. I think the roller derby team is going to be able to get some new uniforms and things in the very near future. Well, not as some new uniforms, but if they have a smart lawyer who can you know get some good paperwork, I mean... What's to say that they can't get 1% of all, you know, team sales or something like that? I mean, can you imagine how much money that would be for them? Yeah, it's going to be very beneficial if if Cleveland is dead set, which I think they are. Yeah, I agree. The Guardians name and replacing the Indians. Um, 
I think this roller derby team has got um, they've got all the cards right now. Let's put it that. <laughs> all the all, all the skaters anyway. All the skaters. So yeah, I uh, it's probably not the proper day time or anything to get into all of the the changes with Native American um, names and stuff because I, I, it's 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 going to hit our beloved Chiefs coming up um, pretty soon. I'm afraid we've already seen it with the Washington football team in the NFL it's hitting baseball I think the Atlanta Braves I'm sure are in the radar of this and I I don't believe this is going to be the I think this is only the start and we're not near the end of these name changes yeah I I would agree and I think uh, the Chiefs if they continue to try to work closely with the local native community and try to to kind of weed off all their you know like war paint and and anything like that. They should say they should be able to at least I think at the very least keep the nickname uh, Chiefs and you know red uniforms and all that. Uh, it, it, I think they play their cards right. They should be okay from at least a nickname standpoint. Yeah, we will we will see. You know, it just takes the one the one right person to raise enough stink that uh, things get done. So the Cleveland Guardians. I believe that's officially starting next season, if I remember correctly, um, with the Royals there in the Central Division. Well, we danced around it long enough, Brad, and I figured we're probably going to spend a lot of time on this topic. So let's um, let's dive into it as things have exploded in college sports the last couple, three weeks with the announcement. We're, we'll start from the beginning and work our way forward that Texas and Oklahoma were looking to and now have made it official that they are going to leave the Big 12 and go to the SEC. So let's just start with first reactions, and then we'll get into all the developments that have happened. Even one more I saw as recently as this morning. Honestly, Scott, you know you know my first reaction was? Bye. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Uh, I, I'll honestly miss Oklahoma than I, more than, a lot more than I would Texas. It's uh, look, I'm I'm not naive enough to think that this is uh, anything but money driven. And Scott, I want to ask you a quick question here: uh, of the fourteen, of the four schools that that left the Big Twelve originally, Nebraska, Texas A&M, Missouri, and Colorado, have any of those four? I think one has, and I want just want to know what you think. Of those four, has any come out better athletically for it? I think one has. I would say possibly. I think Texas A&M has. I was going to say Colorado. Uh, you think maybe and possibly Colorado, and I and I got a little um, funny trivia question. And yes, Nebraska fans, I'm going to tick you off here. But what has Nebraska been football wise since they've left the Big Twelve? Well, they've they've been uh, mediocre at best, and I think that's I I ha- I don't see relevant. anything that makes me indicate that Texas is going to be anything but mediocre in the SEC. I, Nebraska, in, in my mind, they've been irrelevant. They have not even sniffed a Big Ten championship in the last couple of seasons. They have struggled big time just to win three or four games, and that's unheard of um, for Nebraska football. And Texas, yeah, if I mean, obviously it's money-driven, but if they think they're going to waltz into the SEC and win nine or ten games – I think some hard times are going to be upon the Longhorns. Well, it's like that one uh, senator told uh, the president of the University of Texas saying, maybe your fan base would rather lose to Alabama than TCU. (laughs) Yeah. 
Oh boy. <laughs> that that that's that's good i i I like that one but you know when i first saw this i thought you know it was just a matter of time because really this started about 11 years ago brad with texas the first time back in 2010 making rumblings about leaving if they didn't get their precious longhorn network and the minute the big 12 relented gave in texas had all the cards and they have ever since you know we went through this in 2014 you know they were going to leave go to the i think it was the pac-12 at that time what happened more concessions to texas and um that's one reason nebraska has come out publicly since this came out and said that was a big reason why they left when they did they were tired of texas dictating everything that happened in the Big 12, you know, the Big 12 tournament has been and always will be, as long as it lasts, the basketball tournament has been spectacular in Kansas City. It never needed to be moved to Texas. Why was it? Texas. Mm-hmm. And everybody has gotten sick of that, and now it's just another power move by Texas that we're bigger and we don't care about the conference we're in. We care about good old number one they have from the start. And this is why it's happening again. I just can't see how athletically this is a good move for Texas, Um, especially football. I mean, isn't that the whole bread and butter and that what moves the needle in college athletics? Okay, so they're going to go from a six and six to nine and three team in the Big 12 to what? Five and seven to eight and four. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it depends on where they play. Certainly they'd be in the West. You know who else plays in the West? <laughs> how about Alabama? <laughs> how about yep, LA? Good luck. How about Auburn? I mean, are they gonna beat are they gonna beat those teams on any kind of consistent basis? I just mentioned three annual losses to the to yeah. right right there's three losses. Right. And you know that some of these new school or some of the traditional schools in the SEC, you know Alabama. You know that they think, okay, Texas, you want in our conference? Come on over to Tuscaloosa. We'll show you what it's all about. Yeah. it. I mean, I think this is – obviously, this is football-driven. Texas in basketball? Mm, yeah. I think, they can, I think they can do pretty well in basketball. Um, but football, the reason why this move is being made, um, boy, I don't, I don't see it. I mean, uh, yeah, well, but- you're not – the big 12 or finishing in the top two or three every season and you think you're going to make waves in the sec mm, I, I, I think you're living i don't know what color the sky is in that world well it's burnt orange but uh <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. i i, I they, they might be able to compete better from a from a basketball perspective chris beard's made a lot of good uh, recruiting inroads but even i didn't even think about stuff like baseball i mean the sec is a powerhouse in baseball yeah and I don't know if Texas is much of a powerhouse in baseball. I mean, I'm sure that they're good and all that, but are they going to be able to compete with the Vanderbilts and the South Carolinas and, and schools like that? I don't know. I mean, Missouri doesn't. So I, I just, I, I don't know. I just can't see how this is going to be from, a, from an athletic standpoint, a good move for Texas. And Oklahoma. I mean, we're talk, focusing mostly on Texas because I, I, Deep in my heart, this is Texas driven. I believe that 100%. Oklahoma, they're going to have the same struggles in football. Um, 
you know, they're, they're traditionally good in baseball. Basketball's been up and down at Oklahoma. I think uh, they're going to be worse off overall. I, I'm sure in the SEC, I'm not exactly sure um, how much worse off that Oklahoma is going to be. Well, Oklahoma has been kind of a big fish in a, in a decent sized pond. Now they're going to be a big fish in a big pond. So with, with a bunch of other big fish. So I, I don't know what that's going to mean for them athletically, but you know, the days of them dominating the conference are over because, you know, they're not going to be able to dominate the SEC like they did the Big 12. And, you know, if they're fine not winning conference championships and if they're fine finishing third and fourth every year, and if Texas is fine finishing uh, seventh and eighth every year, hey, who am I to say, who am I to stand in their way? <laughs> well, let's talk about timing of things. You know, the, the current deal, uh, TV rights deal uh, expires in 2025. I will go on record now that I think the latest that Oklahoma and Texas begin to play games in the SEC is 2023. And I'm not so sure they won't play games in the SEC next year. I think once lawyers get involved and money starts exchanging hands, I think this thing's going to happen a lot faster than when current deals happen because $100 million, $150 million isn't nothing for Texas to pay to get out of this thing early. I think this is the last year that we'll see Oklahoma and Texas in the Big 12. Uh, I think that they're gone uh, as soon as the 2020, as soon as the 2022 and 2023 ac- academic year starts. I think this is the, this is it for them. Yeah, I, I, I really believe that when we're talking about this issue, this time next year, August of 2022 we're talking about texas's schedule and oklahoma's schedule in the sec i just i I think there's no way that it this is drug out very long i I don't think it is in the big 12's interest to try to force legally those two to stay in it um, any longer than they want to be because they're they're just going to be lame ducks um they won't want to be there nobody else is going to want them to be there so I'm with you. I, I think this year is it. I think this is the last two raw for Oklahoma and Texas in the Big 12 this season. Which kind of takes us into, you know, what happens with the rest of the, the Big 12, which is uh, pretty much the Big 8 right now. And <laughs> I, I, I don't know about you, Scott, but um, everything that I'm hearing about Kansas, and that's obviously one of the two schools that we care about the most from the Big 12, Kansas and Kansas State. But uh, I think – from what I can gather, Kansas is one of three schools in that from the remaining eight who really have no interest in having a, well, let's wait and see what happens mentality. Mm. I think Kansas, I think Iowa State, and I think West Virginia are actively right now looking for other options. And we've seen how these things can, I mean, just kind of come up from out, out of the blue. I, I read a tweet today from a, from a, a media member who said that it is kind of eerily quiet right now at Kansas since there was a report that said that they are looking to join the Big Ten and it could happen soon. And since he since he tweeted that and reported that on 610 Sports Radio out of Kansas City, he's eerily quiet in in, in Lawrence right now. Yeah, the, the initial model, and bear with me, it takes just a little bit of time, that I saw come out that, that, that one person thinks is most likely – and that we've already heard is KU and Iowa State, which geographic and certainly for KU, this is all basketball related because, you know, they, they, they'd be what, 500 in the KCAC in football? <laughs> well, I mean, they, they, 
on, on the right Saturday, Sterling would get him. Okay, <laughs> so we make fun. We hope that doesn't happen. But it's not football driven at all. It, it, a conference will take them based on their basketball pedigree, and arguably, if it's not already, make the Big Ten the best basketball conference in the nation. Um, Iowa State, till recently, has been really good in basketball. Their football has been elevated. I think that would be a good fit. West Virginia, Notre Dame join the ACC. I mean, obviously, that makes geographic sense for West Virginia and just get it over with Notre Dame, go in as a full member. Then that leaves, unfortunately, five schools. And the model I saw, Texas Tech, Baylor, K-State, Oklahoma State, they go west to the Pac-12 uh, Pac-12 traditionally does not take religiously affiliated schools, which leaves TCU, Texas Christian, kind of on the outside looking in. The AAC seems to be possibly the best fit for them. What, what, what do you think about that initial model of having then a Power Four conference with 16 teams in each of those conferences? I certainly think that's the direction we're headed, Scott. I, I think that the Big 12, for all intents and purposes, is dead. I don't yeah. think um, even if you were trying to reach out and expand the the schools that could still give you a power five status like a Louisville, a Florida State, uh, schools that at one time had been mentioned as, you know, relocating and possible targets for the Big 12, uh, are, they're, they're not moving anytime soon. I think the only kind of schools are, are good schools, but you're looking at if, if the Big 12 wants to try to stay intact, you're looking at Houston, you're looking at Memphis, you're looking at Cincinnati, which are which are fine schools, good athletically, but they're not going to they're, they're not Texas. They're not Oklahoma. They're not Louisville. And I think West Virginia, a big reason that they're probably looking to leave is that I think when they joined the Big 12, there's maybe an unwritten understanding that there would be another school out east with them, like a Cincinnati or a Louisville. And it never happened. So kind of like with uh, Kansas, I think uh, West Virginia at this point is kind of we're not going to wait and see if the Big 12 survives, so be it. But we're not going to wait around while you guys figure it out. If we find ourselves a better option, we're taking it. And like I said, I think Kansas and, and Iowa State the same way. I really hope that Kansas State lands somewhere. Because um, with all due respect, Kansas, yes, we don't have the football in We've got the television market in Kansas City. And frankly, Scott, there's a huge alumni base in Chicago. So when you when you think about the number of KU fans in Chicago, think about the short trips that they have around the Big Twin, around the Big Ten. You got Northwestern, you've got Illinois, you've got Wisconsin, you've got Minnesota, you got a lot, you got Iowa, you have a lot of schools that are within a very short drive of Chicago, Indiana. So I think geographically, not only does Kansas make sense, but they've got you know they're a national brand. They've raised more money uh, athletically in the Big 12 than anybody besides Texas and Oklahoma. And I, I really hope that Kansas State can land somewhere. And if it's the Big 10 with Kansas, great. Um, but if it's not a I, – I kind of fear a little bit where someone like Kansas State or TCU or maybe even a Baylor end up you know, in a Mountain Western AAC or something like that. Well, um, and please, uh, let's not get – hammered here by k-state fans and this is nothing against k-state we are obviously ku fans does kansas state add significantly to 
the Pac-12 if they would go there. Sports I ball. think I think I think from a Pac-12 perspective, um, I, I, I I'm no? not I, I'm having a hard time thinking the Pac-12 wants to expand too far east. Yeah. Um. Maybe. Maybe they're willing to take a Texas Tech or something like that. You know, someone not too terribly. Yes, they're in the Central Time Zone, but still, someone not terribly far west. Um. I just have a hard time thinking that they're going to want to expand too far west of Colorado right now, or east of Colorado. And I, again, I really hope Kansas State um can can land in and I and, and for that matter, Kansas. You know, there's no guarantee that Kansas is going to go to the Big Ten. Uh, they could end up in the AAC or uh, the Mountain West, too. There's just no way to know right now. But I think uh, with what we've seen report-wise, that it seems like that there are some moving parts right now with Kansas and the Big Ten. Well, before I talk about another model I just saw this morning, obviously it's money-driven. I've seen a couple of things that, uh, you know, 50% of the 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 revenue is walking away in Texas and Oklahoma as far as television contracts um, and the the Big 12 is the only Power 5 conference without its own network. Um, mm-hmm. So they have been lagging behind the other conferences without their own network. And also that, I, I'm not going to have the numbers exactly right, but close enough, that when the Big 12 was a nationally televised game, that there was some, it was 70, about 75% of those games included either or both Texas and Oklahoma. And when it did include those two, that the viewership was somewhere around the three and a half to 3.7 million. When it did not include either Texas or Oklahoma, that viewership fell below 1 million viewers. Um, so that, that is, that was never a good sign long-term financially for the big 12 when the money Unfortunately, the money-driven schools were Texas and Oklahoma as far as we're talking about football right now is concerned. Yeah, and that's really what this boils down to is, you know, eyeballs, TV revenue, et cetera. You know, the good thing about Kansas and Kansas State is they can bring in the Kansas City television market. But still, I'll be honest. Scott, I mean, am I going to watch uh, K-State in Texas? Well, this year, heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> am I going to watch? Probably not. You know, I mean, I, you know, how many people in 2016 or whatever year it was, or 2017, decided in the fourth quarter to turn to the Kansas-Texas game that KU won in overtime? Probably quite a few. And it really had nothing to do with Kansas. It had to do that. that well, Texas is about to lose to Kansas. Hey, Kansas, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, if, if Kansas is going to overtime with, you know, Oklahoma State, it's just not going to draw the interest. And that that's just really the reality of the situation for the most of the schools in the big and uh, remaining in the Big 12. Yeah, I mean, there was a day where I, I would love to see a, a Houston and SMU like we talked about in the Big 12. They're good schools. They have good athletic programs, but you're not you're not gonna do anything for your tv revenue by adding those schools and again it comes down um to finances in the very end for the big 12 and that's why we we both feel like they're they are doomed but just this morning i see another interesting little side note to this whole story that the big 12 and pac 12 have started conversations about a possible 
merger of the remaining eight schools with the Pac-12 or possibly some type of a mutual um, t- network TV deal that would feature the the remaining big well, I don't know. We're not going to start calling it the big eight again, but the remaining eight <laughs> schools, multiple games in the major sports against Pac-12 schools to try to drive network ratings, you know, have a KU and UCLA play basketball, maybe even a home and home to drive up ratings, stuff like that. If not a complete merger, but maybe some type of a, of a mutual deal to help, um, the Big 12 financially, and maybe even increase revenue for the Pac-12. What do you think about either or both of those ideas? I would be open to a merger with the Pac-12, you know, just a complete 100% merger with the Pac-12. And then potentially then you would have, you know, can't, you know, you have the eight remaining Big 12 schools in the same division with like Colorado mm-hmm. and what, maybe someone like Utah or something like that. And if you focus then kind of the, your conference games along those teams, you know, you still got the old guard in the Pac-12 playing each other, USC, UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State, et cetera. You got the Civil War up in, in Oregon and all that. So if they did something like that, I would be all for it. I'm not sure that the Pac-12 would want to mess with their scheduling that much where, you know, instead of, you know, I mean, again, USC, Kansas isn't going to really draw much of an interest, you know, from a football perspective. UCLA and Kansas State just isn't going to do it. Iowa State, Arizona just isn't going to do it. But if you, but from a, you know, a, a Big 12 perspective, you know, those, those matchups, you know, if you keep them within the Big 12, I think remain still somewhat, um, you know, I, I, I ideally, you know, you're, you're more likely to watch it still. Yeah, it, it was, just, like I said, just something I, I read this morning um, about another uh, possibility hanging out there for um, the big 12 to explore. Uh, Yeah. uh, It's hard to imagine how that scheduling would work because you're going to have to tinker with it enough to get some of those matchups to make it worth the PAC 12 and the big 12, or you're, you're not going to do it. I mean, it's going to have to raise revenue for both conferences if you do it. And kind of like you said, that that might be hard to accomplish and keep intact, you know, those rivalries that everybody does want to see each year. Yeah, I think that, uh, the, you know, the, the rivalries are uh, to me are still a big part of sports, although, you know, we've we've kind of seen that go away. I don't even know who Missouri's rival is in, in the SEC. What, Arkansas, I guess? Uh, Arkansas never really had a rival either. Uh, who, who's who's Nebraska's rival in the Big Ten? What, Iowa maybe? Uh, I, I, I don't know. So, it would be good to maintain those kind of rivalries. And, and I wouldn't be against some sort of merger. But at the same time, even if they are exploring that and if the Big 12 is openly exploring some kind of merger, official or unofficial, with the Pac-12, I still think that Kansas is probably looking out for themselves right now and trying to figure out what's best for just them. Yeah, and I think, uh, I think as the days move on, I think you're going to see more of the individual schools um, – starting to look out and make contact with other conferences and just to start feeling the water out. Cause both you and I think that this is going to happen. Um, it's going to happen really fast when it does begin happening. And can you imagine Brad, I, I haven't looked at schedules. I should pull it up here. If uh, let's say Texas or Oklahoma plays at Oklahoma state, um, 
the reception that they're going to get when they take the field this fall? Oh boy. I mean, <laughs> if, I mean, uh, can, well, let's, let's leave and looking forward to, to basketball season when Texas or Oklahoma visit Allen Fieldhouse. I mean, that's just going to be, I mean, it's going to be like uh, Missouri coming to town is, is what it's going to be like. I mean, uh, and can you imagine if Kansas would be to Texas this year in Lawrence? I mean, my goodness. I mean, Texas still hasn't, still can't hear enough about 2016 or 2017, wherever Kansas beat them. But it'd be even worse now if, if uh, Kansas or Kansas State, uh, I know K-State's K- K- kind of owned Texas in football. But, yeah, it's going to be quite this scene uh, this year and any subsequent uh, years between Texas and Oklahoma and the current Big 12 schools. I, I, I have one phrase, extra security is uh, <laughs> going to be needed for – road trips for Texas and Oklahoma this season. Well, I'm certain that we'll have a lot more um, on this in weeks to come. As Like it says, it seems like you check social media and ESPN that something is happening daily. Um, and this story certainly not going away anytime soon. A couple other little side stories. Uh, Brad, I had to get your thoughts on, you know, the Olympics are going on. And my mind goes about five different directions when I hear the name Simone Biles. I think everybody has seen the withdrawing from all the team competition due to mental health, then re-enters the individual competition to win bronze. Um, what, I, I'm not even sure where to start with this, Brad. What, what's, what's your reaction to all of this, um, what Simone Biles has, hasn't done, right, wrong? What, what do you think? Well, first of all, I think that mental health is something that is still kind of a taboo subject in the United States and probably worldwide. And if Simone Biles feels not in the right place to compete, I say take a day, take a week, take a year, take whatever it takes for you to get your to to, to get yourself well. Now, having said that, on top of that, you know, we're, we're not talking about you know gymnastics. We're not talking about her turning some cartwheels out there. We're talking about her doing these never before seen twists and and whatever these dives, these flips that no one in the world can do besides her. And God forbid where she's on the bounce beam or on the vault and she has one little minor mishap. I mean, we're, we're talking paralysis. So if she's not in a right place, then I say you need to, to withdraw. And I know some people say that, why, why didn't you do that before the Olympics? Well, you know, mental health doesn't really pick and choose when, when it decides to, you know, get in your head. I mean, she may have been in a great place before the Olympics started. And then it just all of a sudden, it just started hitting her. I, I, I can't say for sure. I'm not in her head. I don't know. But for me, you know, I just want her to take care of herself. And if that, I know she came back and, and uh, did well and got the bronze medal on the, on, on the balance beam. And then it was revealed later that her aunt had actually died uh, right be- either right before or right when the Olympics started. I can't remember. So a lot on her plate right now. And definitely, I, you know, I, I wish her the best. I hope she gets well. And if that means that she never competes professionally again, then so be it. And, you know, I don't think she owes anybody an explanation. I think she's got to do what's best for her. And is it a bummer? Selfish? You're competing? Absolutely. I mean, the NBC probably wasn't very happy. The, the ratings that they would have had. For Simone Biles, uh, they probably tanked in the evening on nights that she was supposed to compete. But I really want her to, to make sure that she is in, in a good place and, and where she can compete without having to worry about, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, what's wrong with me right now? Yeah, I think where she'll catch a lot of friction is people will say, well, you your mental health wasn't good enough for the team competition. But five days later, you could compete in an individual competition. And again, we don't know 
what you know i'm not going to speak to anybody's mental health you know some would question mine at certain times of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I can't speak to that but i think that's where you know if, if it's a detractor or somebody wants to bang on uh, simone biles i think that's what they're going to dig into and also and i'm sure this was taken out of context but she had made the statement that she was doing this for herself you know and we've heard that a lot and again i believe it was taken out of context about these athletes that are at the Olympics, I'm not competing for my country. I'm competing for myself. I, I do not believe that is what she meant or what she said. But again, the way the media twists it, that was out there. As well. I think that's where her detractors are going to um, – they're going to grab onto. Right. And I think what she really meant was, you know, I, I need to take care of myself because I don't want to injure myself. You know, I want to do what's best for me. And frankly, you know, because she did withdraw, he gave some girls an opportunity to compete as, as alternates that they may not have gotten the opportunity to. And it gave some like Suni Lee the opportunity to, uh, to, to, to get the limelight that maybe she otherwise wouldn't have had. So uh, there, there was some good that came out of that from a teammate perspective. And, you know, again, I, I, I hope that Simone Biles is in, a, is in a better place now than maybe she was uh, a week. 10 days ago i do as well because uh, again selfishly i'd love to see that uh, that stuff that she, like you said that she does that nobody no other human on the planet can do when she's out there and she's 100 percent physically and mentally and that's that's what we hope to see um for her again well, well speaking of injuries brad i saw this a couple weeks ago tom brady in the news again <laughs> Uh, and surprise, surprise, circumventing the rules of the NFL. And as it turns out, the entire season last year, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as required per league rules, were not reporting Tom Brady on the injured list with a partially torn MCL, as they are required to do. They hid this all season long, and it has now come out. Um, the league has not yet determined what the punishment will be. I think they're going to make an example of this. I think the fine's going to be um, pretty heavy. But but what did you think of this? I just kind of thought, well, same old Brady, and it's just a different team. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought, too. I mean, <laughs> he, he's he's been bending the rules for as long as – and some of it not, you know, not do, due to anything he's done. I even go back to the – to the damn uh, uh, the, the the snow game with the Raiders, you know the the tuck yeah. rule. I mean that that wasn't on him or anything like that. But it just seems like the, all these things have happened. I mean, hasn't it? Uh, I'm not going to get too much into it, but I mean the guy has had a great career. He's the most successful player in NFL history. We can't deny that. And great players make their own luck. But man, I tell you, someone no one has been more charmed than he has. But going back to this uh, incident, Scott, I mean that's just not right. I mean, I know why he's doing it. He wants to protect his knee. He doesn't want anybody to know what he's hurt. Hey, fair enough, but the rules are in place. And if we're going to have the rules that everybody else has to follow, what makes Tom Brady an exception? Yeah, I, I think we've, we've been saying that for 20-some years now when they, you know, the, whether it's Spygate, Deflategate, the, the Raiders game in the snow with the stupid – that was a horrid rule to have in the book that the Raiders should have been in the Super Bowl that year. Um, yeah, it has always benefited him and – um, you and I is not on the Tom Brady bandwagon at any point in our lives are going to certainly grab a hold of this. And I'll be I'll be fascinated. And I hope they do come down hard on the Bucks um, monetarily. And I think that's the only thing the league is going to do um, with this incident. Um, I'm going to kind of get back to the NFL on my final thoughts. But anything else you wanted to add before we go there? Yeah, I'm uh, for my final thought this week, Scott, I kind of. 
wanted to share the what I've actually kind of enjoyed with this Olympics. And that that is not only do I enjoy kind of watching some of these obscure sports like handball and stuff like that that we don't really play in the United States, but I've actually enjoyed watching two teams compete. And that's the men's basketball team. After getting uh, losing to France, they just have looked remarkable uh, mm-hmm. since then, including that huge comeback win over Australia in the semifinals where they were down by 15 in the second quarter and led by 15 in the third quarter on their way to a 19-point win. I just, I don't know. Usually I do enjoy watching men's basketball, the, our, 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 our men's basketball team at the Olympics. And even though this is not our best team, I think that I, this is a gold medal that if they can beat France for the gold, which I think that they will, I'm going to take probably a little bit more pride in because this is not our best team, not even close to our best team. And I just can't help but think, and I know there's other countries out there that aren't having their best team either due to the NBA uh, short turnaround before the next season. But because we didn't have a LeBron or, or Steph Curry or Clay Thompson or James Harden and several others, uh, if, if you can't beat the United States now, just what's it going to be like here in, in, in Paris and L.A. in seven years when they do have their best players out there? And another sport that I've really enjoyed watching, and, and kind of along those same lines, is baseball. And seeing a lot of these ex-big leaguers like Scott Kazmir out there and some up-and-coming players like uh, Bubba Starling, and I've seen this one guy, I think he's in the A's organization, has hit three home runs. And I, I, I kind of wish Major League Baseball would, would be more on board with the Olympics because I think baseball is a wonderful sport. It's one of the few sports where you don't see the best mm-hmm. out there. But hockey has an Olympic break. Um, you know, uh, the women's basketball team sends their best. Women's soccer sends their best. So a lot of these other team sports are sending their absolute best to the Olympics. But because there's no Olympic break for baseball we don't get that and i think that's really unfortunate i would love to see an olympic break and baseball become a regular part of the olympic program we're not going to see it in paris in three years but hopefully we see it in la in seven and i would just love to see them take an olympic break for baseball you can easily take four weeks off and and do everything that you got to do yeah if they really want to do it um they can do it and not drastically change the way the MLB season plays out, but yeah, it, it would be fun to see um, some of those guys we we're used to seeing on, um, on a nightly basis in MLB play um, for their country in the Olympics. Well, for my final thought, Brad, I, I debated a long time whether I was going to go here, but I think I'm going to, um, and we're seeing this everywhere, but I wanted to kind of go to what the NFL is doing and not doing and changing um due to the, their COVID policy. I mean, it started off that if a, you were a vaccinated player, you were only going to need to be tested like every two weeks, don't have to wear your mask, yet they were focusing in on vaccinated player. Okay, you're going to be tested daily, got to wear your mask, you know, all the same protocols as last year. I see an article today that the NFLPA is really getting upset with the league because now they're saying, well, we may be testing everybody every day Um, because, you know, we're finding out that people that have been vaccinated are contracting the new COVID variety. Um, They're also able to spread it. So I think the NFL, they need to step back and rethink this with the NFLPA. I think the NFL is doing this on a win. I think they're changing their mind every day, and it's really frustrating and making it bad for players. You have coaches like Ron Rivera that are highly pressuring 
players that have chosen, for whatever reason it is, not to have the vaccination to get it. Um, and I don't believe that is right either. I think the, I think there needs to be something done before this puts yet another wedge between players and the league. And we're seeing it in society as well. But I think it's yep. gonna, I th- think it could get really bad um, if they don't step back, take a breath and figure out what the best way to move forward is for everybody and not just keep changing this. Okay. You're going to do this. And then next week it's different. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a mess. And the worst thing about this, and I know that the science is changing daily and that's frustrating for all of us, Scott, but uh, the NFL is just even going back to last year, I think they've just been behind Mm -hmm. when it comes to how they want to handle COVID. Uh, They've had plenty of time to prepare and then Next thing you know, training camp is upon us, and they still don't know what the hell they're doing. So uh, there's a lot of money at stake with the NFL, Scott. I'm not saying anything that you don't know. I mean, can you imagine if the Chiefs were going to play the Cowboys, which they are this year? I'm not not sure what day of the week is on, but let's say it's a a Monday night game or Thursday or Sunday night game. That's kind of the marquee game, a Sunday night game. And that morning, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Dak Prescott both test positive. Now, say you're still going to play the game. But you know how much those ratings are going to sink oh, if my. you don't have Dak Prescott and Patrick Mahomes playing? So it, there's just so much money at stake, and that's the biggest reason they can't really get it figured out. But I, I they, they do need to get it figured out. You know, for those who don't want to get vaccinated, uh, I'm not saying that, you, that, that they have to force them. That, that's not going to solve anything either. But they got to be able to come up with something that, okay, if you're not going to get vaccinated – and, and you get COVID, then this happens. If you are vaccinated and you get COVID, then this happens. There's all kinds of ways that they can do this, I think. Uh, I just don't know, frankly, what it is, and they need to get it figured out because uh, it's August. Yeah, and they were talking about if there was an outbreak due to an unvaccinated player, they were going to fine them heavily. Well, if the vaccinated can spread it as well, how are you going to pinpoint <laughs> who the person was? Yep. Yep. I mean, it was it's just... It's a mess, and we're seeing it in society. Uh, employers are firing employees that are choosing not to get a vac- vaccinated. That's r- completely wrong. Um, and we're, it, it's yeah, they need to they need to step back and get it right because the Chiefs play on August 14th, and by golly, it, it, the time is here. And like you said, they are way behind of where they should be, <laughs> which isn't a surprise for the NFL. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think the only the, the the only one that does probably worse than they do is probably Major League Baseball. But the NFL is such a, a huge brand, so much money at stake that it's something that they've got to get right. Yeah, they they got to get it right, and they got to get it right soon. So again, that that is our topics for this week. We'll have a whole bunch more for you next week as high school and college football approaches. We'll be having preview looks at that and a lot more but for this week's view from the press box for brad hallier i'm scott hogan god bless we'll see you next week